Should we tell people that we're recording in different locations? We could be like, hey, we're trying this for the first time. <laughs> we can be mobile. Seminesis going long distance. Yeah. <laughs> Preparation for if you move away, tier. Oh, when I move away. The question is <laughs> when, Emma. Nobody knows. Uh, <laughs> Rachel, do you ever struggle with headaches? Actually, not too much. If I get a headache, I usually it's usually late at night. I go to sleep. It's gone in the morning. What about you? I don't normally get them too much. If I do, but I like to take Tylenol because it really actually helps get rid of the headache. Oh, yeah. Tylenol is pretty popular. But I think that we're all going to have perpetual headaches in the near future. Oh, no. Why? Tylenol might be considered a carcinogen by California. No. So before we get into this story, maybe we should just start out by defining acetaminophen, which is the active ingredient in Tylenol. So acetaminophen is the active ingredient in fairly common pain relief medications, including Tylenol, as Rachel mentioned, Excedrin, and Theraflu. Many of you have probably taken some of these medicines if you've had a headache. And acetaminophen is also commonly used to relieve other moderate pain, including back aches, osteoarthritis, and toothaches. It's also pretty helpful in reducing fevers. Back in 1951, the FDA approved acetaminophen as a prescription drug, and it became available without a prescription in 1955. Acetaminophen belongs to a class of pain relievers called NSAIDs, or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. This family also includes aspirin. As you can tell by the name, this class of drugs targets inflammation. So like NSAIDs, like not sad? <laughs> Not sad, because your headache's gone. Or yeah. are you sad, because you might get cancer? We'll get to it. Ooh. <laughs> so you've all probably experienced inflammation if you've gotten a cut. Your skin turns red, it swells, and it starts to hurt. Oh, yeah. I had some personal experience with inflammation today. Um, so I was walking my dog, and she saw a squirrel, and she just kind of took off. You have a dog? No, oh, did yeah. I not know this? I'm sorry. It's my sister's dog. Okay. She feels okay. like my dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm dog-sitting. And uh, little Miss Maggie May, who is my co-host today, uh, she's behind me. She's asleep. Um, she saw this squirrel, and she took off. And without thinking, I grabbed the leash, but it's one of those leashes that like keeps going with the dog, and no. it just ran through my hand. So I have some pretty bad... Uh, leash burn I guess you call that oh gosh yes my hand was very inflamed and it hurt very badly but I did not take acetaminophen <laughs> <laughs> so what causes this inflammation so under the skin this inflammation is actually caused by your immune system jumping into action very broadly, since neither Emma nor I are immunologists, I'll explain this. Your immune cells secrete signals to direct how your body is going to respond to this wound or insult. So I'll use an example of a wound to explain this. After injury, maybe you need to recruit more cells to this area, such as additional immune cells or platelets to close the wound, etc., 
one of the most important signals that your cells produce in this pain pathway is prostaglandin, which is actually a lipid or a fat. These prostaglandins are made by an enzyme called COX-2. And this is the target of NSAIDs, like acetaminophen. So if you use acetaminophen to prevent COX-2 from making these inflammatory signals, you can reduce inflammation. Exactly. And in this analogy of the wound, it, it may sound confusing when you consider a headache, but there are actually similar mechanisms in place when you're getting that headache. So in a headache, what usually happens is there's some trigger that causes your nerves to become overactive, which then result in the release of these prostaglandins. And one thing prostaglandins do is to cause your blood vessels to swell, which is actually a double-edged sword because on the one hand, it lets immune cells get into the affected area. But on the other hand, this swelling puts pressure on your nerves and causes pain. Ugh. That just sounds painful. Yeah. I'm getting a headache thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting back to headaches, is there any evidence that acetaminophen is dangerous? Yes, this is just a public service announcement to everyone that you should not take acetaminophen after drinking alcohol. It can be very damaging by itself to the liver, but especially if you prime that with a night of drinking, uh, this can be even worse. It even says right on the label that you should not consume alcohol while taking this. So in some situations, I would say use it with caution or consider a safer alternative such as ibuprofen. So why does it exactly hurt your liver? Well, acetaminophen, like most drugs, is metabolized in your liver. And uh, every drug is different. But when your liver breaks down each drug, it'll break it down into smaller parts. And these parts are called byproducts. So different drugs produce different byproducts with different properties. And because the byproducts of acetaminophen are more toxic than other drugs, it's even more harmful to your liver. But saying it causes cancer may be over the line. So what's the evidence that acetaminophen may cause cancer? Well, the Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment actually published this document, which was over 300 pages, uh, compiling all the evidence related to acetaminophen and cancer. Um, it was a doozy, and I admit we did not read the whole thing. However, we did focus on the sections where they talked about human and animal studies and what we learned from them. We don't have time to go over all the evidence, but we will post the full document if you want to read it for yourself, and we will summarize the findings. So let's start with the evidence from humans. Evidence from human patients is always pretty challenging because for obvious ethical reasons, we can't always do these nice controlled experiments that we do in animals. It's important to keep in mind that most of this evidence is correlation. And additionally, the acetaminophen usage was often self-reported, so that can really affect the results if people are either over or underestimating their acetaminophen usage. In the literature, the committee found evidence for kidney cancer, bladder cancer, urinary tract cancer, liver cancer, and leukemia upon like acetaminophen usage. But these results were really mixed. Some studies found statistically significant increased risk of developing these cancers when you use acetaminophen, while others found non-statistically significant increases in risk. Others found no significant increase, and still others reported an increased risk that depended on genetics, sex, or even geographic location. 
The other problem with these studies is that there are a lot of confounding variables, meaning that other aspects of individuals' lifestyles and genetics could contribute to them developing cancer. They even admit in some of the studies that there are confounding variables like smoking or alcohol use that they couldn't control for. Now, in animal studies, these we have a little more control over. They found significant increase in the formation of tumors in 3 out of 10 mice studies and 3 out of 7 rat studies. They observed tumors in the liver, pituitary gland, blood, and bladder. I think it's important to note that in these studies, the animals are fed acetaminophen every day for long periods of time, up to 19 months. That's pretty long in the lifespan of a mouse. So this isn't really realistic for acetaminophen consumption by humans, right? You take it when you have a headache, maybe, maybe once a week, maybe once a month. Emma, how much acetaminophen have you had this week? I actually don't really ever take Tylenol, so not very much this week at all. I mean... Like, I personally have never heard of someone taking it every day. People like that have to be in the minority of the population. Yeah, for sure. I mean, then there's probably another problem that you have if you're needing to take Tylenol every day. Exactly. Another confounding variable. Essentially, what I grasped from this report is that it's possible acetaminophen may contribute to certain cancers, such as liver cancer, but I don't think there's very strong evidence like what we see with something like cigarettes. If people are using this medication sparingly, they're probably fine. But it's great to have access to a document like this uh, and be able to read through the findings for yourself because there are factors that can increase your risk of developing cancer with acetaminophen use. They mentioned a specific mutation in the GSTP1 gene. So if you had a mutation in this gene, you may want to lay off acetaminophen. It'll be interesting to see if in the future with the lower costs of DNA sequencing, if we can develop a more personalized medicine approach where doctors can actually coordinate patients' genetic information with this literature to provide better and safer treatment in the case of using acetaminophen. Definitely. I think that could be useful for things as common as as pain relief medication and, and up to things more complicated, you know. So our first ever Steministas YouTube video back in July of 2018. Wow, it's a long time ago. It started with the phrase, oh, California has done it again. And in this case, California has put forward acetaminophen as something to add to their hazardous chemical list. And our video in 2018 talked about coffee and how they were putting having people have warning labels on coffee to say that coffee causes cancer because of a compound called acrylamide in the coffee. Ugh, not our beloved coffee. How dare they? (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. So we have a video talking about this decision of California's, but they're back at it again with acetaminophen now. And this has been put forth as a candidate for this list of hazardous chemicals. The health hazard assessors have uh, have to show us that acetaminophen clearly causes cancer by testing it with valid scientific principles. 
And they do this because they have a law in place called Proposition 65. And this law requires the health hazard assessors of California to create a list of chemicals that are known or suspected to cause cancer or cause reproductive harm. And as of now, there's over 900 chemicals on this list. You've probably heard of them. There are certain baby formulas that are on this list or flame retardants is a big one. And as Rachel said, beloved coffee made it on the list as well. They can't stop me. So there's been kind of a public outcry against California putting acetaminophen forth as something on this list. Uh, Rachel mentioned that there's this 300-page report that's recently been written, and California's had a public kind of hearing where people can put in comments about acetaminophen being added and that was recently closed so sometime this spring they're going to be making a decision about if acetaminophen will be added to this list that's kind of cool that they had a public hearing and you know care about the voters opinions and everything um so what are the potential problems if acetaminophen does get added to this list of hazardous chemicals One thing is, I think we've gone over this in some other videos, but people metabolize drugs very differently. You've heard of some people, they only need a little bit of a drug for it to work, whereas other people need a whole lot. And acetaminophen is definitely one of those drugs where some person may need just one Tylenol for their headache, and another person may need two or three in order for it to cut the headache. So... This this is an issue kind of maybe with their study designs in general and how they're looking at this data is how are you correcting for metabolism and how is that going to factor into your decision on if acetaminophen is part of this hazardous chemical list? Well, yeah, and that's something that I wondered about when I was reading the um, report. Often they were saying that women had a higher risk of developing cancer from acetaminophen use. And I wondered if part of that was because they're not being prescribed the right amount. This is not often that drugs will say one use for women and one use for men, you know? Yeah, that's so true. And I mean, I know they're trying to do better with clinical trials now and having certain doses because men and women do metabolize things very differently, especially if it's involved in hormones. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the worst case of this, we may have talked about this before on the podcast, was Ambien is a medicine that people use to go to sleep at night. And um, they were prescribing a dose that was way too high for women. So it was metabolized slower by the women than by the men. And women were still like falling asleep the next day, falling asleep at the wheel because they hadn't metabolized the whole drug yet. That's crazy. But getting back to the problems, scientists are worried that if people can't use acetaminophen, they might turn to something stronger, whether it be opioids or maybe even marijuana, and or they may even not treat their pains at all and ignore like something that's underlying. That's so true. That wouldn't be good. Yeah, and scientists in general are just not in agreement that acetaminophen causes cancer. They there's been several like op-ed articles sharing about the science being more on the fence of if it's a carcinogen or not so scientists aren't totally convinced and they're kind of thinking like well california why are you doing this again what is the purpose behind this because this can also affect a lot of 
businesses and potentially Tylenol, they might have to market differently and they can't market the same way in California than other places. And it places undue taxation on these businesses when they try and uh, sell in the places where they can't. Yeah, I mean, I think you could definitely say that they're going too far. But on the other hand, like it is really great to have access to this document, this 300 page report and be able to have a place where all the information is compiled like anyone can access this and read this summary of the results that are in the literature and I think that's pretty cool yeah and the article I mean their report is really accessible like if you read through it it's not filled with a ton of scientific jargon like they do a good job of making it understandable for someone who just wants to read a little bit more especially when they summarize their findings like I just went and read through the summary and I understood things pretty well yeah, same here. Um, I guess maybe there was like s- some statistics that if you haven't taken like biostatistics before, you might not understand. But I think for most people, they would get it. Mm-hmm. So there you go. The information's out there. So do your research. And no sloppy science. Woo. And correlation does not equal causation. Cannot say that enough. Correct. Correct.